once again that you would superintend each part of this service. Lord, that once again we would be reminded that we're not singing these songs for the person sitting beside us, for any other person than to please and glorify your name. Lord, we ask that the preaching would be done in your name. And Lord, the invitation when we would surrender our lives, that it would be real decisions that would be made today. Of course, Lord, our hearts are greatly burdened for those that would be here today that do not know you as their Savior. That first you would be able to show them their need and their own inability to save themselves. And that they would believe that what you did was all that was necessary for salvation. And put their, first, their full trust in you and call upon your name. Lord, we ask that you would be with those who are saved and are serving and just struggling with life. That your word would be an encouragement and uh, strengthening to us in our lives. That we may live for your glory in the week to come. In your name we pray. Amen. Please remain how all that works out. Last Sunday's special fit with the sermon so well. And Yukari was supposed to sing last Sunday, but had a cold and couldn't sing till this Sunday. And her song that she sang this morning fits perfectly with the message this morning. And so we know how the Lord works those things out. Turn with me to John chapter 1, and I'll be... Sending you greetings and things from Heartland during the announcement time at the end of the service. But I I want our attention to be completely on the scripture uh, right now. We're going to look at one verse this morning. But as is the case with all scripture, no one verse stands by itself. It has many other verses and its general context with which to support it and help us to understand. But this one verse, if you have not committed it to memory... It is one that you should. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. One more time. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, we have what we call Christmas time upon us. And, of course, our thoughts are turned toward uh, the city of Bethlehem and the manger and, and uh, oftentimes... Uh, I don't know that I will preach this sermon this this Christmas season, but uh, Jesus was not born to be the baby in your manger set. Amen? Uh, he had far greater purpose in all that was going on in the fulfillment of God's plan. And we often look at this as just, okay, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary at Christmas time, and no, it wasn't Christmas time. And Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem's manger. He is the eternal God. If he had a beginning, he is not God. Verse 14 describes that process, that, that event in God's planning. He said, the word... Now, go back to verse 1. In the beginning was... The Word. Now, if the Word was in the beginning, that means the Word was already existing before the beginning began. Now, did we, we all together there? I mean, you have to word that. Uh, while I was in Heartland, I shared one of my favorite little sayings about Jesus was, is, 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 and always will be, is. And, uh, of course, the English teachers didn't like it, but uh, that's okay. It's true. Amen. And Jesus was before the beginning. Bethlehem's manger was not just something that happened. It was connected to every verse in your Bible. Uh, we date our calendar uh, in the West roughly... 
from the date of Jesus' birth. And uh, it used to be uh, B.C. stood before Christ and A.D. stood for in the year of our Lord. And, and of course, that uh, when man tries to figure out time, he does a very, very poor job. Uh, you pick up five history books and you'll get five different dates. Uh, now, modern history is a little different. I mean, July 4th, 1776 did happen on July 4th, 1776. Uh, but man has come up with different ways and, and they'll try to say, well, Jesus was born uh, about 4 BCE. That means before current era. Because they want to take Christ out of the dating system. The issue is, Jesus doesn't need our dating system to be God. And we can ignore if we wish to. In fact, we're going to find out that, that though that was not God's plan, that's exactly what happened. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Let's just go back in our Bibles to the beginning of the chapter. In the, we've addressed this verse. In the beginning was the Word. Now, it gives us the identity of the Word here. Just in case you're wondering who the Word is, it says the Word was God, was with God, and the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. And so here we have John addressing as is best possible in the language of mankind, the Trinity of God. You see, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was there in the beginning. But who was in the beginning? God was in the beginning. But the Word was with God, meaning that the Word was a separate person. But the Word, God, is the supreme being. So we have, if you like big words, a conundrum here. We have something that we can't figure out. We have something that is beyond our ability to comprehend. And by the way, whenever we address the issue of the Trinity, I, I just love to ask the question, do you really want a God that is so small you can figure him out? I mean, that's what most of the world has. That's why they have so much of a problem with the God of the Bible because he is bigger than they are. He's bigger than their comprehension. And, and it takes a little bit of work to exercise our feeble minds as we contemplate the greatness of the presence of the triune God. I'll tell you, John took this complex ideal and put it as simply as it could be put. In the beginning was the Word. The only thing in the beginning was God. And the Word was with God. God the Father, God the Son, and the Word was God because there only is one God. And if you can explain that, then you'd be as smart as God is. That's why you can't explain it. But you don't have to explain everything you believe. How many people here understand all of the laws of electrical power and electrical magnetism and radiation and how all that works? Does anybody here understand all that? If you do, I'd like a lesson after church because I'd like to understand a little bit more how that works. But you know what I do like about it is if the white wire's hooked up to the white wire and the black wire's hooked up to the black wire and we turn on the switch, the lights come on. I do understand that much. How it all works? Guess what? I don't need to understand. It's an interesting study. But I'll tell you what, if you hook up the white wire to the black wire, you're going to have big problems. 
really big problems. Unless somebody that didn't know what they were doing was in the box before you and switched the black and white wire, and then you're just going to be in big trouble no matter what you do. God hasn't switched his wires in the box, my friend. All you have to do is read the Word of God. And it explains these great, incredible truths. We have the Word was in the beginning. The Word was with God. God the Father, God the Son. The same was in the beginning with God. But look at verse 3, just so you want to make sure you understand here. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. What does that make the creator? I mean, the word. I just gave you the answer. The word was with God. The word is God. The word is the creator. That's why when we get to... Revelation chapter 3, and Jesus addresses his church. He addresses them as the beginning of the creation of God. People like to take that verse and say, you see, Jesus was the first thing created. He was the beginning of the creation. Wrong. And without him was not anything made that was made. Creation has its source in the word. By the way, how did... How were the word worlds created? And God said, let there be light. Do you think there's a connection there? Do you believe that's why the Holy Spirit told John to put the title for Jesus in John chapter 1 as the word if God spoke in, in Genesis chapter 1 and everything that now is out of nothing became. And here it says, and without him was not anything made that was made. You see, there is not a different God in the New Testament than in the Old. Your New Testament is not changing things that are in the Old Testament in the idea of replacing them or or rewriting them. There are some things that are changed between the Old and the New Testament, but that's just simply because Jesus has made the way plain to the Father. We understand more. But it doesn't end right there. He is God. He was with God, God the Son. He is the Creator. Verse 4, in Him, the Word, was life. He is life. When Paul said, for me to live is Christ... He was not just saying idle words. He was saying the life that I now live, I live because Christ lives in me. In Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. This is the whole crux of what true Bible-believing Christianity is. I am dead on my way to an eternal death in an eternal hell. But if I will accept life, God will put his life in me because he is the only true life. How many of you remember what life was before the Savior? Wasn't much of a life, now was it? It was full of frustration. It was full of discouragement. It was full of failure. It was full of trying to be good enough. It was full of, well, I hope it'll turn out okay someday. Boy, I tell you what, we believe in the most fantasical things today. We live in a world of fantasy, of imagination. Our forefathers would have never dreamed to go there because two plus two still equals four. I was walking through the airport 
in, uh, in uh, Memphis on the way back. And I just happened to glance at a book that was laying there beside a fellow traveler. And it said, freedom from the known. Actually, it was freedom from what we know. And uh, don't go look up the book. I don't think it's worth looking up. If it had any influence on the man who was sitting beside the book, uh, he gave incredible testimony that it was a worthless book, let me tell you. Uh, I don't need freedom from what is truth. I need to embrace it. You see, if there is a truth, then there is something that is not truth. There is a lie. That's the whole reason why in the philosophy classes of a generation ago, they came up with this idea that everybody's right. We, we don't want to offend you in, in telling you that you're wrong. Well, let me tell you, unless you get offended and understand that you're wrong, you will never understand that the Savior is right. That's what the Bible is teaching us. In Him was life. And, and without His life, you, you live, your heart beats, things still happen. But, but, it's not the life that Jesus gives. Therefore, it will end. The life that Jesus gives is eternal life. And let's read the rest of that verse as we identify who the Word is in John chapter 1 and verse 14. It says in verse 4, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus would later say, I am the light of the world. He would say, work, because the night cometh when no man can work. How many of you have ever been somewhere where you tried to see where there was absolutely no light? If you've ever been in an underground cave, that's probably the best, those caverns. If you've ever been down there, they always have this time where they turn out the lights. How many of you have ever been there? I mean, you can feel the darkness. I mean, it is a scary thing. And usually there'll be someone there that will explain to you that you think you're seeing things, but see, your eyes will not work unless there is the stimulation of light, no matter how small, upon the optic nerve. Your mind can create all kinds of things that you think you are seeing. This is one of the things that happens when people take drugs and other things as such, is they are being stimulated by internal impulses and their mind is creating things that just simply are not there. But if you're going to see if you're going to really see anything, you've got to have light. Why do you think people believe false religion so strongly? It's because they think they have the truth. How many of you remember as the Holy Spirit of God began to let you see the light and peel your fingers back from the bondage of false religion that you were holding on to. Maybe it was Catholicism. Maybe it was Buddhism. Maybe it was just a Christianity that denied the power thereof, where everybody's good and everybody goes to heaven. You had to see the light that comes from Jesus so you could let go of what you were believing and believe in Him. This is the identity of the Word. When John says, the Word was made flesh, 
What he's talking about, he's talking about God. He's talking about God the Son. He's talking about the Creator God. He's talking about the life that is in all mankind comes from God. The source of that life is the Word. Why do you think you have to believe the Word to get saved, to have life? Because it's light. It allows you to see what is true and what is false. All of these things describe this person called the Word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, I hope the first point of this message has not been new to anyone in this auditorium. We're not here to preach anything new. But I'll tell you, it doesn't hurt for us to go back and remember and look at whom we are speaking when we speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Word. He is God. He is the Creator. He is life. And He is light. The next part about that verse, back to verse 14, says, The Word was made flesh. Now, how do you take the omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent, everywhere present at the same time, God, and wrap Him in human flesh? Uh, As much a human being as any one of us sitting here in this room, and as much God as when he spoke and said, let there be light. Oh, I remember when I was a student in Bible college sitting in the class, and the name of the class was Christology. Because that is the theology or the study of Christ. And uh, we spent a whole semester, I I remember that one class, I had over a hundred pages of written paper that I turned in in one semester. And one of the big topics of discussion day after day in that class was the hypostatic union. How God united physical flesh with the ever-present, ever-eternal God. And our professor would go on and on about all the books that were written and all of the theology and all of the discussion and the church councils that they had. And, you know, we could solve all of that. And the Word was made flesh. You know what? That's all you need to understand. You can sit there and contemplate all the things that you want to contemplate. But it says here in this one verse, throw out your theology books, believe your Bible. The Word was made flesh. Look at the next verse, verse 15. Let's read it. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This It was he of whom I spake, he cometh after me, is preferred before me, for he was before me. John's testimony was, listen, this is who I was talking about, of whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He's greater than I am because he was before me. Now, just a minute, John was six months older, according to Luke. Physically, than Jesus is, was. But John wasn't reckoning human flesh. He was dealing with the everlasting God from everlasting unto everlasting. The one that had no beginning and no end. This word was made flesh. And they've written books on, well... God had to empty himself of his attributes in order to become man. Wait a minute. 
if God emptied his attributes, he's no longer God. In fact, Jesus would say in just a little, in chapter 3, I believe it is, that no one has seen God at any time. Let me, let me just, I'm sorry, I didn't put this reference in my outline here. Um, verse 13 of chapter 3, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, now read that last phrase very carefully as I quote it for you, which is, present tense, in heaven. Now only God could make that statement. Jesus did not quit being God when he became man. He, through his own infinite power, suspended. love electronics. Uh, Let's try this. Third time. Take three. He suspended the use of those attributes so that he could dwell among us and we would not be consumed by his glory. He suspended the use of his great knowledge so that that little body of a baby could catch up and grow and develop and could be used by God. It's amazing. You talk about condescension. You talk about God's love. That's what the Word, the Creator, being made flesh, It would be, how many of you know what an amoeba is? One of those little single-cell organisms that floats around on the, on the slide. How would you like to become an amoeba? You know what? Amoebas don't think. Amoebas don't walk anywhere. They don't build cars. Amoebas don't do anything except just kind of float around on that. That's... About a good illustration is the, that I can give. It's very poor because God is still infinitely greater than we are, than we are, than an amoeba. But you, you kind of got the point. Amen? Or did you? Maybe I need to look for another illustration here. Are we still together? Okay. He was made flesh, but that's not all. And dwelt among us. That's why he was born in Bethlehem's manger. He experienced every experience of the human being. He was born. He had to be totally dependent upon the care of his mother. Several years ago, the church got us a ticket to one of those, uh, oh, it's called Sight and Sound in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It was a theater about Christian theater, and it was Christmas time, and we went there, and and uh, I'll tell you, it was quite impressive. Everything but the storyline. The storyline was just bizarre. They had Mary giving birth in this angel who was supposed to be the devil with a big sword suspended above trying to kill Jesus as he was born. And if it hadn't been for the help of the innkeeper's wife, uh, oh, give me a break. You know what? God knew what he was doing when he chose Mary. He knew what he was doing. 
when he took the presence of Almighty God and made human flesh. But he dwelt among us. Look with me as we continue through John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 14 is one of those summary verses. And what it's doing is it's summarizing what is in the passage all around it. Verse 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. Let me ask you a question. How many of you here today believe some other religion, some other way to heaven than the Bible before you got saved? How many of you? Just raise your hand if you did. You were part of some other religious group. You, you went faithfully. You tried to do the best you can. Before you got saved, you believed something else. Now, I want you to understand something that all false religion is man's attempt to make a God just like he is, like man. If you've ever read uh, any of the stories of the Greek gods, they are so utterly human. I mean, this Greek god fell in love with another Greek god, but she was in love with somebody else who was in love with somebody else you know, I think God could do a little better than that. In fact, the God of the Bible loved the whole world because he's too big. He's too big to dote upon one person. He loves us all the same. And it doesn't have to enter into the realm of sensual immorality because God's love's greater than all of that. Amen? But do you see what happened here? For millennia at this time, man had been making gods like man. And so God became flesh and dwelt among us. He actually walked among men as man, and yet God at the same time and what did the world do? Received him not. Do you get that? Mankind has always tried to have a God like man. And so God did not condescend to mankind. No. He dwelt among us because he loved us and wanted to redeem us. But when that finally happened... Oh, we're looking for a bigger God than you. Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. They said, how are you going to destroy the temple? We've been building it for 46 years and build it in three days. And Jesus was talking about the temple of his body. Uh, the best man has ever produced is in the realm of horror movies called Frankenstein. That's man building another man. But it doesn't have life. And it never will. Because in him is life. And that life is the light of men. When he came to the world, man had been worshiping man and animals and beasts and the sun and the moon and the stars for centuries when Jesus was born. And he had to look at the world and say, here I am. And they said, no, you're not. Then we come to the next verse. John is building here, verse 11. He came unto his own. And his own received him not. One of the titles of God in the Old Testament is Emmanuel. God with us. He came unto those that 
carried the Scriptures not only in their hands, but in their minds and in their hearts. And when they saw Jesus, what did they do? They rejected Him. Because He didn't match their tradition. Why do your disciples break the tradition? Jesus, you didn't wash your hands when you came to dinner. Now, it's a good thing to wash your hands when you go to dinner. But it has nothing to do with your relationship with God now, does it? But the Jews believe that. You see, he didn't match their ideas or their thoughts. But let's go to verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You see, not everybody rejected him. There were some. They received him. How do you receive him? By just accepting it. Christmas time comes. Everybody likes giving gifts. But I dare say, if most of us were honest, we like receiving them just as much, if not more. Isn't that true? Now, when someone gives you a gift, and by the way, if you're a husband here today, don't get your wife a new iron or a new frying pan for Christmas. Just take a little bit of advice, all right? Just don't do that. If she needs a new iron, get it any time of the year, but just don't do it on Christmas or anniversaries, amen? Because a gift is supposed to be something special for you. Not for that person to use to be make your clothes nicer. You, you, you know what I'm saying here. Jesus came to give himself to us. No strings attached. You see, he does not need you. He does not need me. He does not need our church. But he's designed it that way so you and I can have a part in worshiping him, in bringing glory to him, in being a physical presence and a testimony to the goodness and greatness of the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. He has given us that privilege of sharing his glory and his message with the world in which we live. But you have to receive him. And you receive him by believing on his name. But as many as received him, to them gave he, the, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe, that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He dwelt among us so that we could behold his glory. Man's search for God is interesting. As men have tried to do all kinds of incredible things in their search for God. One of the things that never fails to just amaze my mind, just to, I just can't even contemplate it, is when I think of those that torture themselves in various ways to find God. They'll walk on their knees a journey of hundreds of miles. 
you know what that means. It means that person will never walk again as a normal human being. Because they will destroy everything that you need to, your knee needs to operate in walking. God never intended you to walk on your knees. Others, I've heard stories of people standing up and falling on their face and then getting up and standing up and falling and getting up and, and making a journey to some type of sh- sacred shrine. And when they get there, they will not have a face, they will not have hands, they will not have... Uh, and their whole body will be bruised and battered and broken and somehow they think God's going to accept that. I don't understand it. Because when Jesus was here and he met the lame man that couldn't walk, what did he do? Made him walk, didn't he? He met the blind man that couldn't see. How many blind men did Jesus heal? I mean, John, when he finishes his book, said, If I wrote everything that Jesus did while he was here on earth, he said, The world itself could not contain the books that should be written. And people say, Well, that's just hyperbole. Uh, No, no, we're talking about the word that was made flesh. He did so much that you couldn't record it all. Because he's God. Amen? You want to see the goodness of God. You want to see his grace. Look at Jesus. Because he's the light that allows our eyes to see. He's the life that we live. You see, the next verse, well, the the last phrase of this verse, as the only begotten of the Father, what's it say? Full of grace and truth. Full of grace. And truth. Grace is a wonderful word, is it not? In fact, we've spent whole mornings on many occasions here in our church service just talking about that one word, grace. And I'll tell you what, we've just scraped the surface. The Christmas banquet, the theme was the gift of grace. And so I preached on John 1, 16, grace for grace. Grace is a wonderful thing, is it not? And God wants us to have that grace. But in order for us to understand what grace is, we have to look to Jesus. Because He defines it. If I allowed each individual, if God allowed, not me, I have no, I can't allow you or disallow you anything. But the simple truth is, if God allowed us to define what grace is, each one of us would have a different definition of grace because each one of us want different things. Say, God is really gracious if he had let me pass all my tests at school. If we were a student, God be really gracious if he let me get that promotion at work. Uh, God be really gracious if I could just get that interview, because I know if I could just get that interview, I'd have that job that I've always wanted. If God was really gracious, he'd let me win the lottery. No, he would not. Wouldn't let you do any of those things. Because as soon as you did it, you would look to yourself and say, oh, what a good person I am. Grace makes us look to God and say, what a good God he is. And in looking at his goodness, I am faced with the ultimate knowledge of my own evil and wickedness. Now, you don't have to go out and murder somebody to be evil. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. 
You see, we beheld his glory. John was talking about what he had seen with his physical eyes as Jesus touched the blind man. Wouldn't it it be cool just to see one of those miracles that Jesus had done? But let me tell you, you can see them if you want to through the eyes of faith. And you can do a whole lot better job. You don't need a TV camera. You don't need paid actors and makeup and special effects and all of these things. All you got to do is just read your Bible and believe what it says. And you will see. Because the light is in the Savior. Amen? But I'll warn you, if you turn on the light, what you're really going to see is going to frighten you. It's going to terrify you. It's going to revolt you. Because you're going to see yourself in the light of his glory and grace. Do you remember what Daniel said when he saw Jesus in the vision? He said, all my comeliness. He said, I just fell at his feet as if I were dead. He was an old man that had lived a life that you and I would dream about living of righteousness to God. And he said, when I saw him, all my comeliness was turned to corruption. He said, I saw my sin. I saw that I was a sinful human being in the presence of a holy God. And he reached out and touched him and said, Be thou strengthened. And Daniel said, I was. That's God's grace. That's his grace, amen? Until you see what you are, you will never know him for who he is. We think way too much of ourselves, my friend. It's why we have such issues with sin in our lives. Every sin is connected with pride. No one wants to think themselves what the Bible says we are. Oh, we give lip service. We talk about it. I know I'm a sinner just saved by grace. I love to sing that song, Only a Sinner. I love that song. But you, do you know what it really means? I'm living in open rebellion against God. But as many as received him. Till that moment, he gave me power to become his son. It gives me a look at God's grace. Because Jesus is grace. And truth. Do you remember what Pilate said? Here was Jesus being brought before him as a Jewish man. Pilate was interested in only one thing, keeping peace in Israel during Passover. He had such a small garrison of soldiers, he was afraid of completely being overrun and massacred by the mobs. He knew he had to keep peace. Because if it turned out really bad and a bunch of people were killed, even if he survived, he would be brought under judgment by Caesar in Rome. And the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees all knew this, and they played him like a fine fiddle. And in his own inner frustration, as Jesus was standing there in his judgment hall and the crowds were crying for his blood, Pilate looks and he says, what is truth? Well, it was standing right in front of him. It is Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John said that right here. John chapter 1. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld him. And we beheld his glory. I'm sorry. As the glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father. Full. Of grace. 
and truth. Just one verse. The Word. God. God the Son. God the Creator. The light. The life of men. The Word was made flesh. John gave him testimony. That light which lighteth every man. As we read in John chapter 1. He dwelt among us. He came to the world that was created by him and they rejected him. He came to those that held the Bible and claimed they believed in him and they rejected him. But those that received him, to them and them alone, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace that's going to show you how good God is and how wicked you are. By the way, is that not truth as well? And when we accept His grace and His truth, He saves us. And by the way, that's the answer for the Christmas blues. That's the answer for the frustration of the holiday season. That's the answer for the woes of this life. It's the answer for every question that man has ever had. Receive him. Get his power to become his son. And let him take care of the rest. And all God's people say, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, I ask that your word would be ministered to our hearts and our lives today. That we would think and meditate upon you and upon the scriptures. Lord, my first prayer is for those that are here today and are unsaved. That first they'd be able to see their need for salvation. That they would be able to see their own sinfulness in the light of your grace. And more than their own sinfulness, Lord, they would see your love for them. And what Jesus did to pay for our sins, that we may know heaven in its glory. Lord, I pray for those that are saved in this room this morning that we would remember that you're full of grace and truth, and that we would come back and drink deeply of those fountains, that we may grow in grace, that we may know the truth and be set free by it, that we may behold your glory, even in these evil days in which we live. We ask you to work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Have Brother Franz come and lead us in the hymn of invitation.